Hello and welcome to this edition of the NAESP Advocacy Podcast. My name is Danny Carlson and I am NAESP's Associate Executive Director of Policy and Advocacy. On today's episode, we're going to talk research, specifically what the research says about the policies that impact principals. Things like recruitment, preparation, and professional development. What does the research say? Not what we think works, but what does the evidence say actually does work? To help us understand it, we've invited two exceptional researchers who focus on these issues. Dr. Matthew Clifford is a principal researcher at the American Institute of Research, AIR. Dr. Clifford's research and evaluation interests focus on the improvement of school leadership as a means of improving instructional quality and student achievement. At AIR, he manages multiple research and evaluation studies to determine the effectiveness principal professional development and evaluation efforts to improve principal quality. Dr. Courtney Rowland is a principal technical assistant consultant at AIR, where she specializes in educator effectiveness work, particularly teacher and principal human capital management systems. Dr. Rowland has a variety of publications concentrating on teacher and principal effectiveness and recently served on the working group charged with finalizing the professional standards for educational leaders. Thanks for both of you. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Thanks for having us, Danny. Thank you. Of course. Well, good. Let's uh, let's jump right in. Um, so, Matt, uh, before we jump into uh, some of these topics, why don't you just give us a quick little overview of of, of AIR, uh, what the organization is, and what are some of the things that uh, that you all focus on. Sure. So um, AIR was established in 1949. We're a large um, behavioral and social science research organization with an abiding mission to make uh, research relevant to the field. And so that takes us in a lot of directions, as, as you can imagine. We have um, active research projects in workforce development, um, educator support, um, communications, and healthcare. Uh, in the in the educator support area, um, Courtney and I have kind of focused on educational leadership and uh, and teacher workforce improvement uh, for the past several years. Uh, within that scope of work, we are running uh, eight to ten research projects uh, at any given time, and we're also providing coaching and professional development in the field of uh, teacher and principal support. And we also work with policymakers at the state level uh, to uh, create policies that are based in, in research. What we like to do uh, with our research projects is we like to uh, gain the findings and speak to people like you who are having um, great effects in, on the field and then convert research into tools that uh, principals, their supervisors, and others can use to make their workforce um, uh, better. So that's kind of what we do at AIR. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, um, I know that the work that you all do sometimes, uh, the majority of folks who are listening to this podcast are um, principals, uh, practitioners, folks who are leading schools, um, but other mm-hmm. policy folks as well. But, um, you know, a lot of the work that, that AIR does is maybe stuff that folks might not be aware of. You might be working with a state education agency or with a school district to sort of think about the systems um, that at play to sort of recruit and retain and support principals. Um, but your, 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 your work is really important and it's obvious it's, 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 it's really great stuff. And so that's why we really wanted to have you on. Uh, but let's jump in actually to a couple of these topics. Let's first start in, in sort of thinking about that, that principal pipeline, sort of the, the whole process, um, sort of how, 
principals enter the profession and, and how they're prepared and, and trained, supported, all those things. But let's first start on kind of the, the recruitment side of it. How would you kind of describe the, the sort of state of play um, for principal recruitment at the state, at the state, state and district level? Sure. So nationally, there's been a real um, renewed emphasis on who principals are and how they're recruited. And I think that's, that's awfully important. Um, and I think in part, it's out of a recognition um, that's become widespread that principals and the strength of principal practice really influences student performance. Our um, national and statewide goals on educational equity and teachers' choices to stay or, and uh, leave a school. Um, it also sort of stems from uh, school districts uh, reporting to their, uh, to their uh, states uh, and to their legislators that principal hiring is becoming increasingly challenging, um, despite the fact that states tend to oversupply uh, new principals into the market. So in other words, we're supplying more principals, uh, new principals, to fill jobs that, that are actually available. So that's kind of an interesting thing that's happening and, and has been widespread for the past several years. Third, there's kind of like a recognition, I think nationally, that, we're, that our principal pipeline is really leaking talent. Um, in a lot of ways, we're losing new principals uh, during the certification process. So they've gotten a certification, they're trying to make their way through, and we're losing around 15 to 20% of those folks uh, from certification. And then once a principal, an aspiring principal, transfers into the new principal position, after three years, we're losing about 26% of those individuals. So that's wow. really... A, that's really a challenge for us nationally. Uh, we're investing in these folks as educators and as new leaders, and we want to retain those uh, folks over, overall. And then finally, there's, um, there's a recognition that many new principals don't exit a certification program from day one uh, as being school ready. Uh, so they need continued support uh, and investment in order for them to be, to be excellent principals. So that's kind of the, the problem that, that folks uh, that the Wallace Foundation, the George W. Bush Institute, and other places across the country have tried to rankle with over the past several years. Um, we know uh, also that um, our principal workforce is not uh, becoming more diverse at a pace that people would like. In other words, if you look at the statistics over the past 10 years, we've seen more women becoming principals, but it's only in the past year or so that the number of women has eclipsed the number of men uh, entering as new principals. And that's pretty interesting when you juxtapose that to the teacher workforce, you would expect more women entering the principal position. Uh, and we're also seeing that fewer um, African-Americans, uh, fewer Hispanic uh, teachers are choosing to move into the profession um, as principals. And for the most part, the principal workforce remains predominantly male and Caucasian. Uh, and that's, that's a challenge um, that, that uh, many districts are trying to, to face and, and improve uh, recruitment as a result. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. So, sorry, just to just to clarify what you said there. So, so you said for the first time, um, there are more women entering the principalship than men. 
Yeah, just slightly. So what we've seen are um, there's about 57% of new principals. This is according to the Federal Schools and Staffing Survey. So the data is a little bit dated, but 57% uh, of the new principals uh, coming into the profession are now women uh, for the for the first time. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so let's, okay, so you, you talked about kind of like the big picture on this in terms of recruitment and you yeah. know, what's, how, how state and districts kind of do it. So let's talk about what actually, what, what you've seen in terms of what does it actually look like when a, when a state or a district does, um, you know, has a set of goals for, for the profile um, of kind of who they want and the types of people they want in these mm -hmm. positions. What does it actually look like from a policy standpoint? What are, what are they doing to sort of get um, these sort of top flight folks in the door? Sure. So there's, I, I think of this, Danny, as uh, two things. First, there's like uh, the system level uh, activities, and this is how you manage recruitment. And there are substantial differences in the way that we are currently recruiting and managing recruitment of principals. And then I also think of it as a program level, like what does the, the teacher, the assistant principal experience um, as, they're, as they're working their way toward the principal position. So at the systems level, what we're seeing in um, places that like Hillsborough County uh, School District, Prince George's County, um, other places that have been supported either by the George W. Bush Institute, Wallace Foundation, or through EIR grants, federal, federal program grants, um, is that they're investing more in partnerships mm -hmm. uh, between principal preparation programs, school districts uh, within entire regions of the state, uh, intermediary organizations that support principal professional development, and the state education agency. So prior to this, it, recruitment has really been uh, sort of a patchwork quilt of activity. Um, so you may have a principal preparation program recruiting. Districts are also recruiting and encouraging people to become principals. But these groups are not coordinating recruitment um, in a way that, that uh, was, was productive and efficient. Mm -hmm. And so what, right now what we're seeing is partnerships between these four different types of organizations are coming together uh, to really coordinate recruitment uh, and daily types of activities. Um, the second thing that we're seeing at the systems level is the development of leader tracking systems or longitudinal data systems that allow districts and principal preparation programs to track educator career progress over time and their movement from teacher positions into administrative positions. Oftentimes, data systems and you know districts are swimming in data, but oftentimes the data systems don't speak to one another. And now uh, the folks that are in the lead on recruitment are developing data systems where their systems can talk to each other and they're establishing data sharing agreements across them. Mm. Uh, and then finally, you know, at the systems level, Within regions in a state or within entire states, um, groups have come together around a common set of standards. Uh, and if you look at the new uh, professional standards for educational leaders or the NELP standards, which are required of all principal preparation programs, um, they're aligned to the same common ideas around what a principal uh, should be, what they need to know and do. 
And what states are beginning to do and what districts are doing is articulating those standards down at, to the teacher leadership level. Mm. Uh, so you would see PSEL standards and NELP standards articulated into what teacher leaders are expected to do so that districts can track um, teachers' development as leaders so that they can progress into the, to the principal positions. So that's kind of like at the systems level, some of the innovative things that are happening around recruitment. Um, then at the program level, what we're also seeing is some pretty significant changes because in, instead of, I guess, the previous system, if you can kind of call it that, of, of uh, future principals nominating themselves to become principles, what we're seeing is that uh, districts and preparation programs are working together to tap talent early uh, and uh, put forward experiences that develop uh, leaders early on. So um, the first thing that we're doing, uh, that we're seeing in the field, is really uh, looking at talent in a new way and uh, a lot of grow your own types of um, talent development systems are occurring. Uh, so you may be a teacher early on in your career. As you advance through your career, uh, you'll see that districts are placing opportunities for you to lead at the department level or the, the grade level, or you may have opportunities to informally lead uh, others uh, in your school um, to develop your expertise in curriculum, instruction, and assessment, but also learn how to provide peer-to-peer um, -peer professional development or other types of professional development. Um, and there are academies for that. So Miami-Dade County, for instance, has developed uh, teacher leadership academies that kind of begin to move uh, uh, teacher leaders into the aspiring principal category. Um, the second thing that we're seeing is um, more specialization uh, in terms of responsibilities. So we've talked in the field about distributed leadership for a long period of time, and now what we're seeing is that teacher leaders and others within the school are giving peered responsibilities. There's uh, two upsides to this. One, it allows the principal to distribute responsibility to many different people. So a lot of people are responsible for leading in a school because the principal can't do that themselves. But most importantly for this discussion, it helps with recruitment because the principal and district level staff members can uh, put forward um, responsibilities to a teacher leader that escalates their abilities to lead, um, to, to lead other adults in the building. And there's evaluation associated with that and coaching associated with that so that the teachers realize that they are on track and are given feedback to support their development as leaders. Mm. Um, and uh, what's really nice about that, I think, is that there's greater transparency around where you are on the continuum of leadership in the, in the district. So it used to be that a, a teacher may be given more responsibility, but there wasn't a formal process of recognizing talent uh, and, and recognizing that you're on a leadership track. And, and so that's one thing that, um, that districts are, are doing. Uh, they're able to track progress uh, in that way. Mm -hmm. So if you look at P 
PGC, uh, uh, Prince George's County Public Schools or Broward County Public Schools are really two nice examples of, of the way that, um, that tiered responsibilities are, are taking, taking root. Um, and then in several school districts, we're rethinking the principal, uh, the assistant principal position as well. So we know that um, most principals have been assistant principals already. Mm -hmm. And there's a long period of learning that happens when you're an assistant principal that's really important uh, to, to becoming a principal. It's sort of like an apprenticeship for many. Sure. Now, for some, the assistant principal position is, um, is uh, a terminal position. So many assistant principals just, they want to be assistant principals. That's satisfying to them. But for others, they look at the assistant principal position as sort of an apprenticeship. And so recognizing that many school districts are treating the assistant principal position as an, as an apprenticeship and really getting others uh, ready to, to step in as the principal should that principal leave. So mm -hmm. those are some, some ways that recruitment is, is, is taking shape. Yeah, no, that's great. I think um, we're going to shift gears here to, to preparation. But, um, you know, I think that what you talked about, just this idea about um, you know, having the, the folks kind of in, in the pipeline in the system is, I mean, that's a really important hallmark of, of, of principal pipelines, which is that district, you know, folks at the district level superintendent, you know, they kind of have, in a sense, a, a farm system of APs and, and folks and really know who these folks are and, and gaps and, and, and strengths and, and thinking about them to be mm -hmm. the sort of the next folks to lead schools. Um, and that, again, kind of goes back to the challenge of, or not the challenge, but ensuring that you have intentional strategies around these things, right? Not just that like those mm -hmm. things don't happen on their own. You have to really create the, the systems for those things to, to sort of take shape. Um, well, great. That was really helpful. We could probably talk many, many more hours about recruitment alone, but uh, in the interest of time, let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about preparation. Um, and so thinking about um, this, actually, before we, we hopped on the podcast, uh, uh, Matt, we were just talking about, there was actually a congressional hearing today. Uh, on the Higher Education Act. This is something that NASP has been really engaged on um, in, in thinking about just beyond sort of teacher prep, um, but just the, the opportunity for improvements uh, around principal preparation um, in, in the role that the federal government can play to help uh, boost some of these systems. Um, but why, but let's say this, why, why is there, I guess, even this challenge around um, kind of uneven principal preparation across the country. Why? Why is the experience of being prepared at um, as a principal uh, in in one part of the country or at one university um, not the same as another? Yeah, that's um, that's an age old question uh, and a really good one. Uh, so, um, so th there's there's multiple reasons. I mean, um, first of all, um, principal preparation programs oftentimes respond to the needs of school districts, right? So they want to be able to produce new principles uh, that reflect the values, the direction of, uh, of, the, of the local school districts who will, will eventually hire uh, school principals. Um, and so that's, a, that's really a source of variation in principal preparation program design. Secondly, um, principal... I think principal preparation program design responds to the needs of very busy adult learners. 
And so uh, oftentimes those adult learners, if you look at the statistics on uh, principal prep programs, sometimes the adult learners opt into the program and then opt out again. And there is not, uh, there's a discontinuity in their learning over a period of time. In fact, the, the, the amount of time that a person is in a principal preparation program full time, um, it, it varies considerably between programs. Uh, and then program emphasis also shifts according to the type of organization, whether it's a university or an alternative certification program uh, that is that is uh, providing uh, providing the services. Um, so all of those are kind of a, a source of difference uh, between principal preparation programs. And then there's variation within states uh, and between states. So. Uh, what we've seen our our state policies um, uh, are quite different in terms of their requirements. Uh, for instance, uh, some states require uh, a minimum of three years teaching experience by the time you exit the principal preparation program, while other states require up to four to six years. Uh, so there's a source of variation within that. And then lastly, is as um, as as you know, uh, the principal internship and residency programs, uh, they vary significantly in their design. And so all of these are kind of a, a source of change um, that the University Council of Education Administration and other organizations across the, the U.S. have been working with uh, to provide some greater coherence and greater consistency to principal prep. Mm-hmm. No, that's helpful. Uh, I talk a little bit about about what are some of those components of really sort of high high quality prep, um, and just thinking about sort of the standards and um, you mentioned the sort of clinical base portion of it. What are some of the the sort of key ingredients of high quality prep? Sure. So um, high quality principal preparation programs um, are really focused in on providing a. Uh, coherent, consistent experience for everybody who comes comes through the the program. So uh, it really begins with recruitment. So even before somebody enrolls in a principal preparation program, there is now in those programs that are considered innovative, uh, there's a deep uh, deep approach to recruitment. Uh, so that when a person comes to the door, they understand the rigors of the program, they understand the rigors of the job, and they're prepared to to make it through the program successfully. Um, so we've talked about that in the previous segment, so I'm not going to go through that again. But then secondly, the coursework that people experience is remarkably practical. Um, that uh, that uh, Principals uh, coming in, aspiring principals coming into the program uh, are exposed to uh, theory uh, and are asked to apply theory uh, to the work that they're doing as teachers or quasi-administrators in their school. So uh, coursework is aligned directly with the standards, um, and the standards really drive um, all of the, the assignments that, that people are doing. You'll see that in administrative uh, administrative preparation programs, uh, there are multiple uh, evaluation points uh, so that within courses, uh, uh, aspiring principals are getting feedback on their practice and how practice is developing. Their principal is providing feedback on practice. And so instead of getting an end of course grade as we used to do, uh, we're now getting um, evaluation according to the standards and according to a common 
uh, rubric uh, so that you can see areas of improvement and, and areas of extension. Uh, and then you're typically uh, an aspiring principal is oftentimes assigned a mentor principal early on in the process so that that mentor principal can follow them through uh, their work um, toward toward its completion. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Danny. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Okay. Uh, and then uh, another thing that's happening in the field is really um, major changes to the internship or the residency. Uh, so what, uh, what people have recognized through, through research is that an internship program has to um, have some, some uh, greater depth to it than is typically uh, been provided. Um, and so uh, programs are starting to move toward a residency, which mimics in a lot of ways uh, the medical model of training doctors. Uh, so the residency is... Um, is supervised uh, by one or more principals uh, uh, who have shown that they're uh, great principals. Uh, those principals are trained to be coaches and evaluators of, of aspiring principal talent. And then experiences are, um, are tailored uh, to the aspiring principal to address their deficits, extend their strengths, and expose them to multiple diverse student populations and different school populations uh, so that they're ready to, um, to transition into the early years of their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, after a residency program, the commitment to those early career principals extends from year um, up until year three in many cases, um, so that the principal preparation program staff members, the mentor principals, continue to support uh, the new principals as they move into year uh, in through year three of their of their professional lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of I mean that's a lot of pieces, right? I mean if if you're thinking yep. about the recruitment side. And then, sort of thinking about you know the actual coursework and you know relevancy to the to the position, um, sort of all of these things, and then thinking about a high quality mentor, and that's a lot of things to kind of get right. That's an ecosystem with a lot of different variables. Um, give us an example of kind of one state, and then you know maybe one college or university, just as just to kind of put some meat on the bone. What 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 actually are they doing? How have they set up their their approach? If you have any offhand, if you, that you can think of. Yeah, so I'm going to pick on my home state of Illinois um, and uh, my colleagues at the University of Illinois, Chicago. So um, so this, I think, represents a growing partnership between University of Illinois, Chicago and uh, the, uh, the Illinois State um, Board of Education. So uh, first of all, lawmakers uh, some time ago uh, passed, uh, passed policy that required substantial changes to principal preparation. And UIC um, 13 years ago uh, saw the writing on the wall about their own program and sought to continuously improve uh, their, uh, their offerings. Uh, UIC um, worked very collaboratively with the Chicago Public Schools and other school districts uh, working with them to, and they listened. Uh, they listened to the needs of their aspiring principals they continuously collect data on how those aspiring principals perform, both in terms of their placement rates, uh, their uh, retention rates in the principal position, the performance of schools that accept their, 
their program graduates, uh, and the performance evaluations from the um, the supervisors who oversee the the new principal's work. Um, and so all of those data points are collected on an annual or semi-annual basis by the University of Illinois Chicago program, and they uh, engage with their partners in a really formal uh, continuous improvement process uh, that um, that leads them to incremental, you know, incremental uh, improvements in, in services. And that's really, I think, if you talk to UIC, and I, I encourage your listeners to do so, um, that that's the thing that they would say drives their improvement. And so what they've done over time is they've changed the way that they're offering courses. Uh, they have uh, developed um, localized assessments um, embedded within coursework. They've changed the way that they're recruiting, and they've uh, really extended uh, the residency program substantially. They have their own group of mentor principals uh, who they train, and they have um, a, a group of uh, university-based clinical staff members who work with mentor principals and aspiring principals to make sure that that residency experience is, is exceptional. Hmm. Um, what the state is now doing uh, through, uh, through an initiative is expanding the amount of data given on an annual basis to principal preparation programs. So uh, the Illinois State Board of Education has several committees um, actively working to expand the quality of data and provide formative feedback to principal preparation programs throughout the state on a common set of measures. Uh, UIC has developed their own program, but now the the Board of Education is trying to expand that formative feedback to all programs within the state. Um, that's important because if we have a common set of metrics on how to look at the efficiency and effectiveness of principal prep programs, we have a basis for uh, communicating and talking about improvements. And that's something that the, that the Board of Ed is really trying to do. Mm, that's very good. Um, yeah, no, that's, a, that's an important model and, and a good one to raise. I mean, it, uh, it, it also shows just the, the shift, though, that's required. Um, and just thinking about not only from a kind of a statewide policy perspective, but just thinking that in an individual um, educator prep program, you know, what does it take for the shift, you know, the shift in terms of um, sort of um, mindset and, and, and approach and mm -hmm. goals and, and, and getting folks on board to, to buy into um, really shifting to that kind of residency-based model. Um, I know that, that that takes a lot of work, but it's, it's very important work and, and, and sort of thinking about where they are. Um, obviously, the, you know, the success that they've had in that program, um, you know, shows why that, why that's important. Um, but um, great. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for walking us down the pipeline. <laughs> we've, uh, we're, we're moving along. We've, we're, we're, uh, we've, we've talked about recruitment and, and preparation. Um, we're going to shift gears now, actually, um, to, to, to talking about professional development. Uh, Courtney, uh, who is our other guest on, on this episode, um, has done a lot of work um, in, in sort of researching uh, principal professional development and sort of all, all of what that means and, and sort of what works. Uh, and so want to get, um, get her perspective, uh, especially given our members. Um, NASP members are really, really keyed in on professional development and ensuring that there's um, funds there for, 
for um, those programs and then also ensuring that that what they're receiving is is, is high quality and and actually helps them hone their craft so uh, Courtney um, so tell us a little bit about some of your 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 takeaways on on some of the research that uh, that you've done on 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 principal professional development you bet um, and thanks Matt for all that that good information um, and your responses um, yeah I guess I'll start my my response, Danny, by saying, um, you know, I think that we're we're sort of at this pivotal point right now, where we're we've really established, I think, um, for the most part, what effective practices are for principals. Um, we know a lot about what good principals do to impact teaching and learning. I think, um, and all of your listeners um, to this podcast know, you know, what that is. They set agendas and, and visions for their school. They coach staff and operate on a daily basis as instructional leaders and they effectively manage the talent in their schools. Um, but all of that work takes, you know, it takes a lot of time and cognitive load to constantly, uh, you know, have that kind of practice. And, and most principals are still really bogged down with the, um, with the tasks related to discipline and budgets and managing relationships, et cetera. So um, to some extent, I think those things are always going to be part of, of the principalship. Um, they've been a main part of, of their job for a long time. But I, I think as we're, we're understanding more about what best practice is in the principalship, we can't just sort of add a bunch of these, you know, time-consuming, um, sort of cognitive load-consuming tasks to their, to their plate without giving them support in how to manage that and, and figure it out and, and, and develop on their own. So... I, I sort of just wanted to couch my response and saying, okay, it seems to me that if we could maximize their time and abilities to focus on the practices that we know to be effective, then I think we could really maximize their influence on teaching and learning. Um, so that's why this ongoing PD um, question is, is and support and development for, for sitting principals. You know, Matt talked a lot about recruitment and preparation, but they're also I don't know, 100,000, 125,000 sitting principals um, uh, right now that, that need ongoing support and development. Mm -hmm. So you asked about um, takeaways from, from my research, and I'll, I'll just sort of generally say, because I know we're going to get into the weeds in a little bit, um, that the, the paper I think that you're referring to that, um, that I worked on in, in, in 2017 um, through the Policy Center at AIR was on principal professional development. And I I was compelled to work on it because at the time I really felt like there was this sort of convergence between these, these three big influences. Um, ESSA had just passed, right, a couple of years before that. And, and there, as we all know, lots of flexibilities and resources and, um, and, and support sort of baked into the law in ways that we hadn't seen in the past. Um, there were the PSEL standards that Matt mentioned, um, so the professional standards for education uh, leaders. So those were those are relatively new in the field. And then just this growing research base around the impact of of school leaders. So I thought, oh, there's this, you know, there's this significant research and policy opening and and the standards piece. Um, so there's the timing is really nice to to revisit this notion of how we can um, double down on on effective. Uh, professional development. Um, so the case I try to make in the paper, which is not a hard case to make, that you know, I, I think any professional needs this, that strong principals must have opportunities throughout their careers um, to be trained and developed and supported 
and this is a really important piece of this, and Matt mentioned it too, in consistent ways that reflect evidence-based standards. The standards piece is not to be skipped over or shortchanged, right? We have standards that can be adopted or adapted, and it's really important for school leaders to, um, to, to hear and understand those standards at each point in their career if they're going to influence the, the pipeline. Um, so I'll just wrap up by saying that, you know, because um, again, I know we're going to get into the weeds here, but when I started writing the paper, I really didn't know a lot about um, what the research said about PD for principals. It was sort of a, uh, uh, an experiment for my, you know, an investigation for myself. And, and what I learned, unfortunately, and I mean, there's pockets of excellence for sure in lots mm -hmm. of places, but in general, um, what I learned is... Uh, one thing is that there's there's actually not a lot of hard evidence about what actually works in principal professional development. There's a ton of descriptions about what it should look like, hmm. but in terms of like hard evidence, it's, it's, it's tough to come by. Um, I know Matt's worked on a couple of, 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 and there's actually a study I think underway right now to, to understand more about the impact of specific um, PD programs. But the other, I think more important response to your question is, um, I think the general takeaway is that we're not, we don't seem to be getting the content of principal professional development quite right, nor are we getting the delivery mechanism quite right. So it's, it's sort of a two part, I think, general takeaway to your, to your question. Mm -hmm. Well, so what is the, I mean, is there a, t on the, on the content side, is there a typical, um, approach I guess to content that if you're a principal in you know some district in the United States is there are is there like a recycling of kind of old content that is that that's not research-based I mean what is kind of what is typical content that that principals receive in professional right yeah I I would say my my immediate reaction to that and this is some of um, described more in the paper is that principals tend to participate or the, the experiences I think that are available for them for professional development yeah. are designed primarily for teachers. Yeah. So they'll sit in on, which I think is still important for, uh -huh. for, for them to, especially as instructional leaders to have access to what, what teachers are um, experiencing in PD, but they also need professional development of their own that is aligned to, you know, their own evaluation results, to their own, you know, um, needs and growth areas and so so there's there's that piece of it but i think when they do have you know principal focused pd it will be largely centered it will often be largely centered on the what of district reform mm. you know like the specs um you know here's a rubric that we're going to institute in our district and here's how you use it um, but not as nearly as much on the how of leading change which is really basically saying the the practices that I sort of ran through earlier that we know more about are reflective of high quality principles. They don't get a ton of access to PD that's aligned with, with that. And then on the other piece you said was delivery. I mean, the first thing that I, I thought of was, um, you know, the sort of stereotype of professional development, you know, at the district level is you get in an auditorium and, um, teachers or principals, you know, sit around and, and hear and learn and kind of intake information. Um, do you see, I mean, do you see a shift? Do you, do you see 
districts and, and, and others trying to um, create opportunities of kind of networks and, and principals learning from each other and, 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 and mm-hmm. the power of that? Yeah, that's really great follow-up question. And I think, um, I think that's where some of the research is also helping um, to inform those decisions that schools and districts are making. Like, I want to do better at this. How, how do I go about it? And so, um, so I think there's some research that has suggested, um, you know, mentoring and coaching, ongoing coaching uh, is, just, is just a really um, effective practice. Uh, and, and in fact, I think some, there was some research out of Vanderbilt, Jason Grissom, few years ago and can he continues to do work on, on coaching um, research on coaching but anyways that that's a that's an area so not so much to sit and get but this sort of ongoing right um, mm-hmm. uh, side-by-side coaching I think um, you know as you mentioned networks and uh, collaborative opportunities uh, we have found when we learn from states that institute those kinds of things. Maryland has, has some interesting examples of this, particularly for like assistant um, APs who are in the pipeline. There, these networks and collaboratives are really uh, helpful and important and, and meaningful ways for, for principals to learn from each other and to stay you know, um, up on their practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, well, I was just gonna, I know I paused there, but I just wanted to add this one last thing because it might be a nice resource for your folks. Um, mm-hmm. LPI wrote a paper a couple of years ago, um, and I think they did a nice job on just sort of um, identifying what some big buckets are to pay attention to when you're designing and implementing professional development. I mean, they're not the first ones to say some of these things, but they sort of they sort of lay it out pretty pretty um, clearly. So they named four areas just to be really succinct about um, for your listeners what what are important to think about when you're designing and implementing PD. So that's what Matt talked about earlier is that um, using partnerships between programs and districts is a great way to continue with ongoing support and development for principals. Um, as you said, Danny, program structure to support learning in cohorts or networks. Um, that's a high quality practice for PD, according to the LPI paper. Meaningful and authentic learning opportunities. I mean, these are these are ways for um, principals and quite frankly, anybody, right, to like have their own problem or practice that they're pursuing that they can apply what they're learning through their development and support systems to issues that are actually coming up in their school. Um, and then learning opportunities focus on what matters. So again, align the content of the opportunity with what we know are effective practices for, um, for instructional leaders. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's, that's really helpful. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about kind of like the what of professional development in terms of, you know, what the content should look like and, and how it should be delivered and kind of how this should kind of look and feel. But, you know, one thing that, that, that I hear from um, some of our members from time to time is just that, you know, professional development is great, but um, I just don't, I just don't get a lot of it. I mean, I just don't get the opportunities from my district. And if I have a some funds for PD, you know, I'm going to prioritize my, my teachers and ensure that, you know, that they get professional development. Um, I mean, is that kind of narrative out there that, that um, there is what you would say would be sort of in, insufficient levels of, of PD for principals? I mean, is, is, is that kind of the, you know, the case, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, 
think we have to believe them when they when they when they say this narrative. That's that's mm -hmm. their lived experience. The, mm -hmm. in the in the paper that I wrote in 2017, I. Um, I have a few statistics in there that I think are probably still the case, although I haven't done a recent analysis. Um, but at the time, using some 2015 and 2016 data, um, only 31% of districts had reported spending any of their Title $2 on principal PD. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty low, right? Um, and I think just in general, there's this... this um, problem or challenge in the field, and this happens at the district and state level, where we're just not tracking the use of Title II funds um, well enough to, and, and I'm sure that played out recently in a, in a political manner, um, but we're not tracking it well enough to know how it's serving principal's needs. So mm -hmm. to make the case for, you know, the funds and how they should be used and, and channeling some of those towards um, school leaders you know, you have to have the, the data to understand how it's, how it's being used. Um, but I'd be interested to know, you know, what your question and my response would look like more recently because so many states wrote school leadership support mm -hmm. and development in their ESSA plan. Mm -hmm. um, almost every one of them did. So you have to assume that this work is, you know, increasing at some level and just what that looks like and how it's being resourced and, um, you know, what the narrative looks like now in the past two years would be an interesting follow-up question. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. And I, and, and also thinking about not only that, it, that what was included in ESSA plans, but just the, what, what feels like such a, just a big focus on kind of coaching and mentoring and, and kind of that network mm -hmm. approach and some of that. I mean, that, well, the, I, I don't know if all of those things sort of fall necessarily under the bucket of professional development, but certainly kind of support in some of those things. Um, so no, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, well, great. I want to, I want to, I want to end with you. I want to just like have you, uh, the professional development expert for principals, um, and sort of thinking about all of these, these pieces. Um, if you were kind of, if you're in a district and you're meeting with a group of principals and you're hearing about what they kind of need in terms of support and, um, what professional learning could look like, um, you know, pretend, um, money or funding is, is not an issue. Like, what do you, how do you design, how do you, what program do you design uh, for professional learning for a group of principals in a district over, I don't know, five-year period? I mean, kind of, what does that look like? Um, I think my, my response, I, I have three or four thoughts about what to keep in mind um, from that at that level when you're when you're um, in that position. It's probably not as specific as what your question is, is, is getting at, but I think it still matters. So if I were in that in that role, I would um, or if I were advising someone in that role, I would here, here are the things I would say. Um, I would say make an investment and stick to it. So in a, in a sufficient investment, right? So don't sort of tinker around the edges or try something for a year and then back away. I think this work takes time. Mm -hmm. You know, developing and implementing high quality professional learning systems and, um, you know, building a culture of continuous improvement amongst your uh, and leaders and, and giving them time to try out the practice and get better at it. It takes, it takes time. So you have to, and, and to have that happen at scale in your district, um, mm in a sustained way. So it's an investment that takes time. And, and I think, you know, 
um, to be illustrative of it, Tennessee is a great example of that. I mean, I think all three of us have supported, worked with, you know, um, uh, learned from Tennessee over the years in many ways. And their estate has made an investment in school leadership a decade ago, and they've still been working through it. Um, I would say to Matt's point earlier, engage partners. Like, no one can really do it on their own. So use your university, use your regional professional development system, use your REL, your regional education laboratory, whatever you can do to get, to use NASP to, to get support from partners, I think it's, it's essential. Um, I would say, uh, if I were giving advice on this, I'd say align what you're doing to what's actually needed in the field. So often we see um, programs or systems or whatever sort of not aligned with what educators really are saying they need to get better at their practice. So um, have it really be a design-based approach and in, in, in designing the content and the delivery mechanism for PD. And then last but not least, so important, and it often gets left off, um, and this is probably because we work at AIR that I'm, that I'm saying this, but measure the impact and the continuous improvement. You can't sustain anything if you aren't able to say the impact that it has. Um, and if you can't do that, if you don't have the bandwidth or the capacity in your school or your district or your state to do that, then that's another place, again, where partners can be really helpful. But understanding how something is working or not in a context is uh, essential to, to scale and sustainability. Yeah, yeah, that's really great advice. Those are, those are really excellent. Um, well, we are, this is an advocacy podcast, and so we're always talking, um, you know, with, with ways that, um, you know, our, our members who want to engage in advocacy, like, I mean, advocacy doesn't always have to mean, um, you know, flying to Washington, D.C. To, to meet with your senator to, to tell them to, to fund a program. I mean, advocacy can mean, um, you know, attending a school board meeting, um, getting a meeting with um, some folks in your central office or in your district, and maybe you know, approach them about what, what does professional development look like for, for principals in the district? Um, does it exist? Is there a plan? Um, and if not, you know, maybe even thinking about drawing attention to the need for um, potentially uh, increased resources and, and, and a vision around what it looks like to kind of support principals in the district. Um, so that is a, a great idea and a great strategy. And so appreciate you, you sharing that. And uh, Matt, are, are you still on too? I'm still here. All right, great. You're, you're there. Well, um, I know um, our uh, members um, will find this very, very interesting, but um, I can tell you Matt and, and Courtney are, um, I think I said in the intro that uh, kind of all stars, but uh, I mean, they really are. These are, these are folks who are uh, researching um, uh, and, and, and in the field um, on the issues uh, that are impacting principals, and they've been doing it for a long time. Um, and the work that AAR puts out is, just top-notch stuff, uh, really, really respected um, across um, organizations who are in this work. So we are very honored to have you guys on and uh, appreciate you both again for, you know, for joining our podcast here. So thanks so much. Thanks for having us, Danny. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>